talking as usual. <laughs> okay, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke 16. Tonight we're going to be doing the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Rich Man and Lazarus. We'll be reading that in just a minute. I'll get my Bible open here. Luke 16. Should be down there toward the bottom of the chapter. Okay, I want to read a little introduction. This is from our a brother in the church, uh, Elder Eccles, who has written a book on parables. But I thought this was an interesting story. Dr. George W. Truett was entertained on one occasion in the home of a wealthy Texas oilman. After dinner, the man took Truett up to the roof of the house and showed him huge fields of oil derricks. He said, Dr. Truett, that's all mine. I came to this country 25 years ago penniless, and now I own everything as far as you could see in that direction. Then he turned to the opposite direction, pointed to waving grain fields, and said, It's all mine. I own everything as far as you can see in that direction. Then he pointed to huge herds of cattle and then virgin forest. It's all mine. I own everything as far as you can see in every direction. He paused for a moment expecting praise, but to his surprise, it didn't come. Dr. Truett laid a loving hand on the man's shoulder, and he pointed upward and asked, My friend, how much do you own in that direction? The man dropped his head in shame and said, I've never thought of that. That's from the Western Recorder. So I want to read the story of the rich man and Lazarus, a story familiar to us all, told by Jesus, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who fast, feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, 
They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. All right, quite an interesting parable. All right, so let's make some observations about this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. First of all, what do you guys think about that story? Any, any reflection or insights, anything that stands out in your mind as we read that? Everybody's got mum disease tonight. Do you have something you want to share, Roy? Okay, we got we got uh, Clint, who's carrying our microphone around. Well, at first, when I first went through this, I looked at it as just a parable. Okay. And then, as you look at it and you get really down into it. I'd say it looks more like uh, a simile of what we can endure as we go through in our preparation to meet God at the end. Yep. Uh, You know, and Meg and I were talking about that very thing. We walked this morning, and I told her I was doing The Rich Man and Lazarus, and I said, you know, sweetie, the, the more I've read this parable, the more it sounds like not a parable, but an an actual account or a story, because unlike a parable, it goes into more detail. It gives actual names and situations. It has conversations back and forth between biblical characters like Abraham and the beggar Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, It it doesn't really pass that same parable filter, does it? It's almost more detailed, more involved. And I'm wondering if Jesus is telling the story not as a parable, but it's a parable plus an account of a real event. And, and that's always stood out in my mind as a, as a possibility. If that's true, which I can't say it is for sure, but if it is true, Roy, then it is the only account in the Bible that gives us a little insight into what happens when people die. You know, the great chasm, a place of waiting. This isn't our permanent home, but a, but a place to, to wait until the the judgment where the trumpet sounds and all are called up before the Lord. Where do the departed spirits of people go? This would sort of fall in line with the concept of paradise, a place of waiting. Um, There's a great gulf dividing that. And in the land of the dead, there's torment and hell, a a precursor to our final destination for those who are not believers and not obedient. And then paradise, which is a place of waiting, until the pronouncement, well done, good and faithful servant, you know, enter to the joys they're in. So it's an interesting concept. Any other thoughts? But I appreciate you sharing that, Roy. I, I've always felt the same way. Don't know for sure one way or the other, but interesting. Anybody else? Was a rich was the story there because a rich man was rich and didn't share what he had or yeah good good 
Texas that we call them cardboard people. As you're looking at the cardboard people and you're knowing, well, propaganda says they're getting fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year doing what they're doing. Should I give this money or should I give it to the church and mm-hmm. hopefully that it goes to the right places to to give it? Uh, that's one of the reasons Carolyn will let me care cash is because I'll give it away. Yeah. And I guess it's lack of discipline, but I just we grew up on the poor side of the tracks. Yeah. You grew up hard. And it was kinda hard to when you got money and I finally got a job and it had a good pay, mm-hmm. then it was hard to hang on to it because I looked at the people that came up like I did. Your heart was connected to people who struggled to get through life because yes. you grew up that way. You grew after, up hard. After a while you stop wondering, well, are they doing it because they too lazy to work? I mean, because if you look at a guy walking up and down that little piece of pavement there all day long. Oh, that's what you meant by the cardboard people that, yeah. that at the exit ramp or yes, the, the parking lot. They're holding yeah. up the cardboard. I got that from Glenn. That was, that was Glenn's name for him, the cardboard yeah. people. I, well, personally, um, getting off the subject for just a second, I've always felt like it's better to carry the bags that we have for the homeless offer them that in lieu of cash because unfortunately cash given to the hands of people like that will often end up like beer and cigarettes or drugs yeah and you are enabling so i would suggest one of two things one is have those bags that the church makes up and carry those in the back seat i know judy if you're listening glenn and judy uh, Judy carries that in the back floorboard so she can reach right between the two seats, grab one, and hand it to a person. Uh, I've seen similar similar things where a person actually invited that homeless person or person asking for assistance to the back of their car, and they had little boxes made up in the trunk, so they presented a box to them. The other option would be to buy gift certificates to, like, McDonald's, you could do like a $5, $6 certificate and just carry those in your car. And it's going to be hard to convert that into cash where they could buy cigarettes or beer. They're more likely to use it for food if they really need it. So I think that's a responsible way to share with the needy. But I want to get back to the parable uh, to kind of answer your question. So any other thoughts before we move on? Anybody? All right. Oh. All right. Mr. Cavan. Um, I, I just think it's interesting. It, it, it talks about the, the physical side of, of you know, the Hadean realm. The, you know, physically, he wants that water to, to uh, because of the anguish and the flame. But then also has the, the mental aspect of uh, wanting to, uh, to reach out to those, you know, to his brothers. So, yeah, yeah. And I, and I All of a, a sudden, the man who needed nothing on earth and shared nothing is now making very simple requests in torment, isn't he? Right. I need this man who I totally ignored on earth, the, the poor beggar Lazarus, and gave him nothing. I want you to send him over so he could at least dip his, tongue, his finger in water and cool my tongue. The simplest of requests for a man that's hurting and it wasn't Lazarus who denied that request. What did Abraham tell him? About the... Yeah. If they don't hear... I can't... I, no, he said, I, I can't send him over because there's a great gulf between where you are and where I am. It's interesting that they could hear each other. And in the meantime, what do we know about Lazarus while this conversation is going on? Abraham's bosom. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a minute. That has real significance to the Jews, and um, we'll talk about that in a minute. But your conversation goes to the brothers, the request? Well, I, I was just going to say, it, it, I heard a preacher say one time that he didn't know what would be worse, you know, being in, in he, he was specifically talking about hell, not necessarily Hades, but um, the actual physical torment of, of burning or thinking about what it was that I did to, you know, to be cut, you know, to think about all of eternity on what I did that prevented me from having heaven. So yeah. I think that aspect is kind of shown here where it shows, you know, initially it's that, that torment of, of burning what he wants the relief from. And then, then he realizes I need to make sure, you know, all those close to me don't come yeah. here. This is so bad. What I'm experiencing, the, the flame, the dryness of my mouth, the, the tongue desiring water and not having it. So extreme thirst anguish, heat, sulfur, all those horrible things. So not only has, is he experiencing real pain, Kevin, but he has profound remorse where he thinks back, if I had only done this, I'd, I'd be over there in comfort. If I'd only been generous with what I had, I wouldn't experience this. And so it's so bad, would you at least grant me this request? Have Lazarus go back and warn my, my brothers can't do that so just very tragic in a lot of ways when you think about what the man had on earth and chose not to share right what he had in that Hadean realm or or tormentous um and and he he couldn't get anything he wanted you know he suffered extremely so it's just sad Sad that he couldn't go back and warn his brothers. And it's interesting that Abraham responds, if, if they didn't believe Moses and the prophets in real time, they're not going to believe somebody who supposedly comes back from the dead to warn them. You know, just thought that was interesting, the hardness of their heart. So let me make three observations, if I may. I can't take credit for that. This is from Brother Eldred. And um, here's three things he, he pointed out I thought was really interesting. One... He says, first, this story or parable does not teach that it is inherently evil to possess wealth. Would you, would you all agree with that? It's not a sin to be rich? Ah, the love of money is the root of all evil. So it's okay to be blessed. There, there's actually characters in the Bible, Patsy, who are quite wealthy, Right? Biblical men. We got Abraham, Solomon, right, who had extreme wealth. Um, several characters in the Bible were blessed. Um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all had extreme wealth, great amounts of herds and servants. And so there's no, nothing wrong with being rich if God has blessed you with that ability to have money. There's nothing to be ashamed of. I think he mentions here Solomon, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he gives examples. Uh, the difference is that three patriarchs would use their wealth to serve the purposes of God, but wealth had become the young ruler's God. He chose it above eternal life. The rich young man, remember Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you own and give it to the poor. He went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had made his riches his God. He loved it more than he did Messiah. That's the danger. If we fall in love with these material things and they become a God, then we run the risk of having hard hearts 
toward those who need assistance. So keep your heart soft, right? Continue to help the poor, but just don't give them cash, okay? (laughs) Is that a deal? (laughs) All right, he says, secondly, the parable is not intended to teach that being poor is a virtue, right? Why did this man that was a beggar, Lazarus, end up in paradise? Why did God welcome him in? Maybe he was a righteous man, a good man, but just by being poor wasn't somehow, that didn't earn his stripes into heaven. You follow me? So don't think it's noble to be poor, right? Poor often, being poor is often a choice, and certainly uh, being poor sometimes is a result of being lazy. And God teaches us to work, to, you know, an honest day's wage. He tells us to, he says, behold, sluggard, you know, look at the ant. In Proverbs, so it's not a it's not a virtue. Um, poverty is often a result of laziness, harmful. Uh, Proverbs six nine and ten, uh, and so if you earn your wealth honestly by being wise and shrewd in your dealings, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, as you pointed out, Patsy. Do you love that wealth? Do you love that money? Do you love those riches so much that you close your heart and the needs of uh, others around you, right? And so later on in our lesson tonight, we'll talk about the concept of stewardship and where this rich man failed. Now, it's interesting. I don't know if anybody ever pointed this out. Somewhere years ago, I, I learned that the reason you see a dog who's injured, who licks himself, is the saliva helps to heal the wound, right? I'm not a dog person. Is that right? But you'll see a dog who licks themselves. It's interesting that the dogs had more compassion on Lazarus and licked his wounds more so than the man who wouldn't even give him crumbs from his table. Isn't that interesting? The idea or concept I've always had is at least these dogs showed compassion. At least these dogs licked the wounds of Lazarus. Maybe they cared more than the rich man who lived at the house where Lazarus was laid. By the way, did Lazarus walk to where he begged? He was, he was, he was carried and laid at that place, which means he was totally... He wasn't, he wasn't poor because he chose not to work. He was poor because he had some physical infirmity where he could no he could no longer work or produce or do anything he was dependent on others so truly he was in need so uh i don't know if i agree with his third point but he says the parable is not intended to give precise information on the world beyond death so i i think it's a very interesting concept um that it, it gives us insight into the world after we die, more so than any other scripture. And, and I kind of wonder, did God maybe pull the veil back just a little bit and let us see what happens? You know, I, I've always taught, ever since I was a young adult, that I think as soon as we die, our, our eternal destination is revealed to us based on where we wait. Does that make sense? Um, y'all ever remember the, there was a commercial about milk and a guy... He died, and he was in a room full of chocolate chip cookies, and he opened the refrigerator door. There was no milk in the refrigerator, and he goes, no. You know, it was was alluding that he really wasn't in heaven when he died. He was in another place. So anyway, there's a, 
Uh, I think I think as soon as we pass over into that that land that we don't see and we wait, we know immediately, as these two men did, whether they're being comforted or or in torment. And the thing is, and this is so important, once you're there, what are you going to do about it? You can't do a thing. It's, it's eternal. It's final. The only thing you lack is that final pronouncement or declaration of where you'll spend eternity. But you already know. You just haven't been given that final pronouncement by the Lord himself, the ultimate judge of all. So it's interesting that we see reversed roles here. Uh, Lazarus um, had everything he needed and was comforted in the bosom of Abraham and, and the rich man who had everything in the physical life didn't give a thought to Lazarus, but now he was experiencing, as Cabin pointed out, pain, suffering, heat, torment, dry mouth. And he was extremely thirsty. I want to read this if you'll let me. I think it's a pretty good insight into the application, Roy. I wanted to get to your, your question about what's the application of the story. So um, stick up your hand or holler if you want to make a comment, but I'm going to read this um, section to you. The real purpose of this parable is to emphasize the eternal results of really poor management of God's assets with which he has blessed us. Now, let me stress that again. What we own is not ours. What we own is God's. We have to remember that. Remember the story I read at the very beginning where he says, what do you own up there to the rich Texas oil tycoon? You may own all of this, but it's not really yours. It's God's. And so the more of this that you give away to the needy, the more you're investing in riches in heaven. That makes sense. It's a very simple biblical concept. If you consciously give to the poor in the name of Jesus, if you give things away that God has entrusted to you in the name of Jesus, then you're building uh, a secure life in heaven, and the Lord will remember those things. That makes sense? Yeah, you, you don't do it to earn heaven brownie points, right? It's not a point system. You do it because you acknowledge God has blessed me with these things. He's given them to me. And because I love him and want to obey his commandments, I help the poor. Just like this, this rich man, we're not really told that he did anything wrong. Uh, he might have been a religious man. He might have followed the, the law of Moses. He just failed to be benevolent. He failed to show compassion. You know, this man was laid right there at his, at his driveway every day. So sad. So it belongs to God. There is nothing in Jesus' description uh, of the rich man to suggest that he had obtained his fortune illegally or dishonestly, right? He might have been a very shrewd and intelligent businessman. Neither does it say that he was not respected as a person of honor in his community. There's no reason to suppose that he did not tithe or was a Sabbath breaker, or even that he did not attend the temple rituals. He probably controlled his household, studied the scriptures, verbally acknowledged God. The rich man obviously thought he was living correctly, and I thought this was interesting. He certainly did not think he would be in hell. He was surprised to be there. So, you know, it's like, wow, boom, it kind of hit me. There are good people out there who have been excellent and successful in the business world 
and they think they're good moral people, but they lack compassion. They lack acknowledging all this stuff isn't mine, it's God's. Therefore, I must use it to his glory. And when they die and they go to that place of waiting, it's, it's a shock. <laughs> They're stunned. Why am I here? That's the reason. So he goes on to talk about the rich man. He clearly made choices in life that so displeased God that he lost his hope of eternal life. Instead of admitting that he was only a manager of God's possessions, he claimed outright ownership. He spent them selfishly rather than devoting them to the needs of others. So there you go, Roy. Why do we have stuff? Oh, it's to make me comfortable, make me look rich and successful. It's to impress others. Nope, (laughs) not for the Christian. They're resources that God has given us. He became so caught up in the living of life that he had blinded him to the reality of his spiritual situation. Now, this is where it gets kind of personal, so I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but I really like this. We, like the rich man, are also very susceptible to the subtle idolatry of materialism and selfishness. We have such incredible wealth to deal with in comparison to the rest of the world. This gets back to the concept of are we rich? The answer is when you compare us to the world, the answer is yes, we are rich. We are the rich man. When you compare us to the rest of the world, it fools us and makes fools of us. Rich things do, materialism. The list of life's necessities has lengthened greatly during the last generation or two. Labeling wants as needs is another subtle way for us to hold selfishly to what we have and keep it from use by and for others. The parable supplies us with no resume uh, on the beggar. We know nothing about him. Much has been made of the fact that Jesus gave him the specific personal name Lazarus, and I never knew this. The real uh, person and the story is not a parable, but an actual account. Lazarus was, in fact, a symbolic name which meant in Aramaic, this is interesting, Lazarus means one who is without help. That's what the name means in Arabic, Lazarus, one who is without help. Lazarus was unable to walk, and it is implied that he was being laid at the rich man's gate. We must conclude that he lay at the gate and begged for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Sadly, the rich man selfishly ignored his pitiable plight and made no effort to share with him. So if there was any condemnation, any major strike against this rich man, it was that he lacked compassion. Pretty simple lesson when you think about it. He made no effort to share with this man. Jesus did not give any information about the character or religious nature of the beggar. We presume from the scene in eternity of him in the safety and comfort of Abraham that he was a good man, but in any case, the beggar is not the point of the story. Interesting. Yeah. It will have an end because God will comfort you and bring you as Abraham did. Yeah. So I, I go back to the parable of the sheep and the goats. Go ahead. Are you are you done? I didn't mean to interrupt. Do you remember the parable of the sheep and the goats? Two animals that look alike, 
sound alike, very similar from a distance. They're indistinguishable. But to the sheep to whom the Lord welcomed into the kingdom, what made them different than the goats? Okay, well, what specifically did Jesus say? I was thirsty and what? Ah, I was naked. He clothed me. You see a connection here? I was hungry. Yeah, I was in prison. You visited me. Ooh, wow. That's the only difference between those who didn't make it to heaven and those that were ushered in when they were told, well done, good and faithful servant. When did we do this to you, Lord, they said. We don't remember serving you. I don't ever recall doing this for you. Ah, but when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Does that sound kind of like this parable? (laughs) Yeah. It's so simple. I've got stuff more than I need, truthfully. What does God want me to do with his stuff? Share it with those who have needs, right? Very simple. Very simple message. All right, any, any comments, thoughts? Anybody? We miss any points? Yeah, let's get the microphone to you. Clint's, Clint's a coming. I probably wonder why we do the microphone. We've got people watching through live stream on Facebook and YouTube, so... They can hear when we have the microphone. One question that I have is <clears throat> the very last verse says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the, from the dead. Do you think there's a correlation of that and Jesus' life himself rising from the dead and the people knowing that that wouldn't, still wouldn't follow him? Yeah, you know, I had never really thought about that, that Christ himself rose from the dead. And the religious experts of the day, those who, were, who you kind of look to for religious knowledge and guidance, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you may recall that they went to the Roman official and offered to pay money, right? We'll pay you money to spread the story that his disciples came and stole the body. We don't want any of this risen from the dead stuff getting out. We don't want to believe it. We don't want it taught because that would make Jesus a martyr and a hero. And then his disciples would flock to follow him because he is alive. Right? So it's a good point. I think if if I were to summarize what happened, uh, we, we look at the condition of one's heart. They're calloused, untouched, unbelieving, not willing to see the facts and believe. And so uh, I, I guess this, this rich man was blinded to the truth that he was not sharing the wealth that belonged to God. All right? His heart was hard. He was asking that Lazarus go back and tell his five brothers. And that's when Abraham said, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, things that are supposed to guide us and teach us, 
They're not going to believe somebody that comes back from the dead. Again, why would they not believe? Hardness of heart. They don't want to face the facts. They don't want to believe. This is the truth. So I think, I think that hearts can be hardened by multiple things. In the case of the religious leaders in the days of Jesus, they probably were filled with pride. They were self-reliant. They were proud of the fact that they were religious people and served God faithfully. Uh, they didn't want to look at the, Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't want to acknowledge him. As a matter of fact, they plotted to kill him. So being deceived, being um, persuaded that what you see is something else and you believe it's true, and it's not true, goes back to a heart condition. That makes sense? Uh, I just wanted to share a quick story. I, I know a man personally who had an affair outside of his marriage. And I, I counseled him and I worked with him. And, and I began to realize that this man had allowed Satan to enter him. And his view of reality was terribly distorted. Kind of delusional, you know. I've heard men say things like, God wants me to be happy, and I found a woman that makes me happy. She just happens not to be my wife, but God wants me to be happy. I'm sorry, where does the Bible say that? See, it doesn't. He justified, this is another friend, by the way, uh, he justified his his lifestyle because God wanted him to be happy. So it can happen. It can happen to the best of people. These individuals that I'm talking about, they grew up in the church. They were active members of the church, but yet allowed their minds to be confused and deluded and what they saw they believed to be truth, but it was the opposite of truth. So it can happen. Our hearts can grow cold. We can grow calloused. You know, maybe, maybe if the rich man had gone back many, many years before he had everything, he might have been more compassionate. He might have said, oh, look, there's a man out there that's struggling. Let's see what we can do to help him. But for whatever reason, at that point in his life, when Lazarus was laid at the driveway, there's no compassion. And for that, he lost his soul. Very sad. All right, anybody else? Got just a few more minutes. Y'all are quite grouped tonight. There was a... Uh kind of a little docu-series I watched one time called The Men Who Built America. Yeah, I've heard about that. And it was Carnegie, Vanderbilt, uh, J.P. Morgan, and a couple of other guys. Yes. And, of course, they they were the first actual billionaires. Of, they were millionaires back then, but they would be equivalent of multi-billionaires now. Yeah. And as they got older, they finally realized the real chase of life wasn't the money, it was the giving of money. Yes, and they started giving it away, giving it away, giving it away, giving it away. And they realized that that was actually where the true joy came in. And as they give it away, they realized more was coming available to be able to give it away. So I've always thought that was an interesting fact. But they all kind of agreed with that. The more that they give away, the faster it would come in, the more they could give. Yeah, A.M. Burton, who was a member of the church and lived in Nashville, lived by that philosophy. Have y'all ever seen the old A.M. Burton building? It was an insurance building, a tall building in Nashville at that time when I was young. Um, L.N.C. Towers, thank you. 
But Brother Burton was asked one time about um, his success, and you know, he was a multimillionaire, I'm assuming, member of the church. But he said, one thing I've learned, I can never outgive God. I've tried. I've tried to give away money, and lots of money, and help people and good causes. But what I'm finding in, in this process of giving away all these things in his name, he keeps blessing me with more and more. And I found that interesting. It's sort of an opposite than what maybe this rich man felt. You know, it's mine, mine, all mine. Remember the Daffy Duck <laughs> cartoon? He's hoarding gold and putting it in his treasure box. It's God's. It's God's. It's all God's. And while I'm here, I want to use it to honor him. So great lesson in this parable. But thanks for sharing that. Very interesting. I thought it was interesting, too, that recently we went to Biltmore, which was the Vanderbilt uh, estate in North Carolina. And it shocked me that he built this huge, huge residence built more estates and hundreds and hundreds of acres. And he lived there five years and died. He was a young man. I thought, wow. (laughs) He amassed all this great fortune and he was gone. Five years after he lived there, his wife was a young widow. Interesting. I don't know what the Lord said on the other side. But uh, I I know what happened in the rich man and Lazarus. Don't be selfish. So I guess, if anything, one of the takeaways for me is be careful laughing off the concept of wealth. Because if we look beyond our immediate town and the local millionaire, billionaire that lives down the road, if we look across the country and look across the world, we'll see that Americans, just because you're an American, we're rich. We really are. We're in a we're in a very small percentile near the top of of wealth in America. And so as a nation we've been very blessed. We're one of the most giving people in the world, if you look at total contributions. So remember that you are a rich man, you have something to give. Uh that's a hard message in times of recession and economic hardship, but Let us do what we can to honor God, however small it may be. We'll do it in his name and and bless others. So that's pretty much it. Whether it's a parable or an actual story, I'll let you decide. But it gives us a glimpse. If it is a, a true story, it gives us a glimpse into things that happen when we die. So any thoughts or comments before we close? All right. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Clint, for being the microphone man tonight. Thank you for your comments. I appreciate it. And hope you'll think about this story that we learned tonight.
Clint. Appreciate everybody being here tonight. Just a moment. Wes is going to lead us in number 562, Kneel at the Cross, and Clint will be leading us in prayer. We've got a few uh, requests, prayer requests, before we close the service tonight. We always want to offer an invitation. Uh, it, it just kind of strikes me as I listen to media and read stories about the warfare between God's people in the world, it seems to be growing more intense and profound, and evil is almost accelerating uh, directly at us and challenging us. So let us continue to be strong. Let us continue to be lights who are shining in the darkness and to be grace-filled as we teach others. But more importantly, if there's any, any single one thing we can do in these days of growing evil, that is take people to the foot of the cross. Show people what Jesus did. Show them what his blood means to us and how we can follow his perfect example and how he showed selfless and perfect love to a lost world. So if you can convince somebody that Jesus loves them and died for them, if you can take them to the cross and have them kneel at Jesus' feet, you've done a great thing. And I think it would please our fathers. So the invitation is yours tonight, whatever your need may be. If you're working with somebody, teaching somebody, or, or trying to get a Bible study set up, we'll certainly be happy to pray about that. But if you have any requests, we invite you to come while Wes leads us number 562. Kneel at the cross, Christ will meet you there, He intercedes for you. Lift up your voices, leave with Him your care. And begin life anew. Kneel at the cross. Plead every care.
seated, please. All right, we have some baby news to share. This is really exciting for Stroudsville. We want to, by the way, thank the Wallace family for their contribution to all of these babies. Uh, first of all, Ricky and Becca have a sweet little boy, Carter Richard. He came January 12th. He was 8 pounds, 10 ounces. Tyler and Madison Wallace have a little baby girl, Josephine Michael. She was born January 16, 8 pounds, 1 ounce. I was asked by one of the family members to uh, keep little Josephine in prayer. This is Tyler and Madison's little one. Uh, they think they may have detected a heart murmur, and they want to find out more about that possible heart murmur, so they'll be doing some tests in the future. So just keep Josephine in prayer. We also have a new baby, uh, Matthew and Alexis Hensley, had a little boy, Waylon Reed. That was on the 17th, and he was 7 pounds, 11 ounces. So exciting week. We're really growing. We learned that uh, Bob Ogg Sr. is in Centennial Medical Center. He's going to have to have a heart cath tomorrow, so remember him in prayer. We'll ask uh, Clint to be sure and remember Bob Ogg. Our sympathy is extended to the Carr family. They have a, a son, Andrew, and he passed away unexpectedly. His visitation will be Austin and Bell Funeral Home in Springfield, Friday from 4 to 8. And again, Saturday at noon, uh, they'll have the funeral service at 1 on Saturday. There's a sign-up list to host youth activities in 2023 on our bulletin board. We want to c- congratulate Travis and Christine Gupton. They were married earlier um, last year. And uh, we're giving them a gift card shower. There is a table set up over there. If you want to leave a card or a gift card for them, that would be much appreciated. We need those by Sunday. There's a secret sister reveal luncheon Sunday in the fellowship hall following morning worship. You can see Shannon if you have any questions. We also have a calendar planning session Sunday at 6 p.m. right at the end of services. So bring your calendars, and uh, if you want to sign up like you've coordinated something over last year and want to do it again, we'd appreciate you coming and letting us know. Brian Albright will be coordinating that, so um, remember Sunday, 6 p.m., planning session. Young men will be conducting evening service January 29th, and uh, I'll be helping the young men plan a theme uh, and getting those young men involved with various aspects of worship. We'll probably meet this coming Sunday morning early and establish that theme. Finally, Picking and Ribs fundraiser for Lawwood Christian Camp that's coming up Saturday, March 4. That'll be at 6 p.m. at Trenton Crossing. There's a flyer on the bulletin board, and you can see Noah or Dale for tickets and um, great cause. Last thing, just what's our count tonight? 85. All right. Thank you, David. We appreciate everyone being here tonight and hope that you have a good, safe trip home. And um, with there's no further announcements or updates. Anybody else that we missed, maybe health or sickness, any special requests, we'll ask Clint to come forward and dismiss us in prayer. Bow with me, please. Father, we once again come to you this evening wanting to thank you for everything that you bless us with on a daily basis. Father, the fact that we have, we are in the country that we are in to be able to come here and study without fear of any kind of uh, 
intrusion upon that right. Father, we thank you so much for that. Father, we also pray that as a country, we, we look back to you more than we do now, that we will be able to say, in God we trust and truly mean it as a country as a whole. Father, we thank you for all the little newborns we've had, Father, all the additions and the young families that are being built right now. As a father myself, I know that uh, the upcoming years are, are truly some of the greatest parts of your life to watch your, your children grow, and we thank you so much for those little blessings. Father, we also ask that you be with baby Josephine as she is uh, being monitored right now for her heart complications that she will just simply grow out of them, Father, and they won't have to do anything because we know as we know that uh, you can do that. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. We just simply have to pray and ask. Father, we ask that you also be with Bob Ogg as he goes in and has stance in tomorrow that he will feel better and be more have more energy and just that the surgery will go well and that he will feel better and on the other side of life father we know that the andrew carr family is bowed down in sorrow as uh, the passing of him we we pray that they will look for you for the for the comfort and the strength and guidance they need to go throughout the rest of the days that, that they uh, will be able to not grieve too long and be able to realize that that life will go on and they can be happy. Father, we pray that you go with us as a whole, as a church, not just here, but the worldwide, that we can go out into the world and be able to show your light and be able to bring others to you, Father, and show what a, a great life it really is. Father, we most of all thank you for your son and the fact that he was willing to come here and do what he did for us. Father, we, we will never be able to repay you, but we, we, we'll, we will try. And it's through his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Clint.